Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992, here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Isco. And I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your regular host, my sister, who recused herself because her crush on Polly Shore, while it has diminished, has continued to beat throughout the ages, ever stronger, and still there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so... Okay. First I actually of don't know if she still has a crush on Polly Shore. I mean, I should have asked, but he's, he's kind of adorable in this movie, guys. But we're, before we get to that, I want to introduce our guest today, Bart Nickerson, co-creator of your favorite show on television, Yellow Jackets, uh, Carrie Gologly, a developmental executive in the TV space. I, I want to kind of start because... I reached out to you both individually, Carrie and Bart. And I was like, I'd love you guys to come on to talk about a film from 92. And you were both emphatic about Encino Man. Now, the interesting part of this is that, Carrie, your love seems pure. Bart's love seems to be from the early 90s. He had not seen this film since then, Bart. Is that correct? Yeah, no. I, I mean, I'm not even sure if I had seen this in its um, entirety. <laughs> Then, so, um, like, I, the reason I chose this movie, I bring this up because I think it's kind of relevant to why yeah, Carrie yeah. did, was um, I looked at the list, and because, like, I didn't, like, I guess, I don't always feel like I have the best kind of relationship to movies, so I just didn't want to steal one that somebody else was very excited to talk about. Sure. And so I looked down the list and was just like, okay, like, what's the most likely to sort of be sitting there deep um into the run of this podcast and i was like oh like i'm sure that nobody wants to talk about encino man um and so Boy, were you wrong, <laughs> <laughs> yes. super wrong. 
Because <laughs> Carrie Colloquially right at the <laughs> gate was like Encino Man. I was like, yeah, all right. I mean, great. I'm so when when you both picked it, I was like, well, obviously you guys are friends. This will be great. I'm curious to hear this conversation, but I, I have to start, Carrie. What is it about Encino Man that has stayed with you? I mean, I think I'm like, I actually like really do love Pauly Shore, like in that era. Like I was like really into him uh, and not, I mean, and, and like it stuck with me. I mean, I'm very stubborn, so I'm going to like stick with my opinions. Mm-hmm. I feel like I like rep Encino Man. I also rep Son-in-Law and that like, I think Son-in-Law might be like the realist of his movies as far as like the character he's playing the arc for the character and like the movie in and of itself is like something that exists it feels like the realist and like look i'm kind of in a to a lesser extent but still appreciate both biodome and in the army now i can't stand by during duty but biodome in the army now i actually like think are worth visiting how Uh, do you how do you feel about the russian pinocchio where he voiced pinocchio like I assume you haven't seen it, but well, okay. Because because you brought this up, um, I feel like we do need to kind of do a little bit of before before we do a deep dive into Polly Shore, because I feel like that is a, a thing to unpack. I kind of just wanted to talk about like because we're all sort of around the same age. Emily didn't see any movies in 92. So Emily, I'm assuming this was not the second movie you saw in theaters in 1992. It is not, but I okay. did see it back in the nineties because of my okay. sister's debilitating Pauly Shore crush. I've sure. seen all the Pauly Shore movies. So this movie felt like a bit of a staple. Like, am I crazy that this felt like it was a hit and it felt like a thing that our generation kind of latched onto. Am I well, crazy? Well, so, okay. So the thing, the other thing I was going to say that actually will yeah. back up your opinion is that the, my copy of Encino Man was recorded off of ABC when Michael Eisner was doing the intros <laughs> like Walt Disney, like he was had the same like I like identity as Walt Disney, which is sure. A, sure. a joke. He was like, he's like, hey, well, and so literally he's in a science class and he's like, hey, guys, like, <laughs> welcome to the wonderful world of Disney and blah, blah, blah. Tonight, Encino Man. And like. What the heck was he thinking? He's just some business guy. He didn't invent Disneyland. It's not called Eisnerland. It's wild that he was doing that as like an executive. That's insane. Do you imagine anyone doing that today? No. The only thing I've known Michael Eisner to have done since he left Disney was BoJack Horseman. And he should record an introduction for BoJack Horseman. (laughs) Tonight, BoJack Horseman. (laughs) I mean, nothing against him. Like, no, I don't no, know sure. the guy. I just, I'm just like, he's just like some business dude. He didn't just, he sure. didn't invent anything. I don't but know why you he are speaking anything. You're speaking to sort of this moment, which we talked about, I think a little bit, Emily, in a previous episode, forgive me, but like, there's this, this is the moment when Eisner and Katzenberg have taken over Disney, for lack of a better way of putting it. And Disney's stock is low. They're in this kind of weird sort of fallow period in 89 is is Little Mermaid, obviously. And then you've got Beauty and the Beast and you have Aladdin. So they're certainly on the rise, but like they're still kind of do like they're building Touchstone Studios. They're building Hollywood pictures like they're doing these kind of things. And what I think is so funny is that Eisner wants to own it like he wants to be the face of it, which is so rare that an executive wants that. 
maybe I can't think of another example of it. Like, it's one thing when, like, Hitchcock was doing it. It's fucking Hitchcock. Like, I, I don't know. It's all very strange. Yeah. Right, but I mean, I guess in kind of Eisner's defense, like, the first time that Hitchcock goes out there, it's like, <laughs> what? wow, like, what's this guy doing? You know, but then he becomes, so, like, yes. uh, kind of Eisner was betting on himself, and it just didn't work out for him. No, no. But but I, I but I want to say maybe also in his defense the fact that I like knew who he was when I was like in fifth grade maybe I take back everything I said like I mean <laughs> yeah. maybe he I, should have been out there. I yeah. do think I do think that like when he took over Disney like Disney mm-hmm. seemed like it was on its last legs and he like very consciously made that decision to be like I am like Uncle Walt you know that's mm-hmm. yeah. I am in this tradition and like I remember I went to this when I was a kid I went to this children's museum and they had like a thing set up where you could like record a news broadcast you know like a like an anchor and the little script for it was about how Michael Eisner had saved Disney and it was very clearly like an article from like Bloomberg or something that they had just like dumped out <laughs> a little bit for kids so you could sit there and be like and it's all joy in the magic kingdom thanks to Michael Eisner and like the seven-year-olds were doing that anyway great i think that's fascinating though because it is interesting that like the person who ultimately kind of saves disney is katzenberg really in terms of like the animation studio and turning that into what it became it's not really the live action stuff necessarily that is is kind of it's just it's sort of fascinating because eisner's legacy if you will should be that he helped usher that that massive company into what it is today and yet what we remember him for is him popping up in a science lab being like this week encino man um i i think it's kind of incredible i i so this i I guess my i saw this movie in 92 i assume at a at a slumber party at like a sleepover or something along those lines because i don't i don't really have like a firm memory of it the only scene that really stayed with me is the uh the convenience store scene I, i don't quite know why that's so iconic but it's the one that stayed with me um, so when you guys brought up this film, I was like, I'm very excited to watch this movie again. Emily, you have not seen this film since the early to mid nineties. No, right. No, no. Did you, did you have feelings about Polly Shore back in the day? Um, I did not. I had, I had huge Brendan Fraser feelings, but, <laughs> um, but the, the Polly Shore at all, like I thought he was fine. Like I thought he was funny. Yeah. I very, it was, he was very much one of those people where I was like, you know, it was very intellectual for like, I was probably like 13. It was like, oh, I'm too good for Polly Shore. But like, it was because my sister loved him and I just, you know, wanted to get one over on her. So you were like uh, the critics at the time. Uh, yeah. who- the, critics all, the critics all fucking hated my sister. That's what it was. They were just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, wait, so like, yes. I just for like myself, because like, I guess yeah. I was surprised even just at the top of this. Um, uh, uh, when you said mm-hmm. this movie was kind of like a staple, like I, mm-hmm. like I, like I do remember Paulie Shore mm-hmm. being giant. Like he was just a, like a really yeah. big deal, and, and like I do think that's very uh, kind of interesting. And like I think there could be something to talk about, like what because like the qualities that make him are very uh, like kind of specific and pretty unique. Totally. But I don't remember this being like a big giant movie but you would know better than i would so i guess i'm surprised to hear that this was like a staple because like i I would have thought this was like a good like just a yeah 
I know I, I hear you. I guess a staple might be a little bit dramatic. I, as I was watching this film, the movie that kind of uh, came to mind a fair amount was Bill and Ted. Um, it has a similar vibe to that. And I think that that vibe appeals to kids, right? Of sort of like dopey, but because like it makes you smarter than the movie. Do you know what I mean? So you're just like, oh, I'm smarter than Polly Shore. Um, and I understand that this is a caveman and I'm smarter than a caveman. Like there's just something kind of in that milieu that I think appealed to young kids. So I don't mean to say like that it was necessarily a sale, but the movie did. I mean, this movie made $40 million in 92. That is uh, not nothing. I I think that the part of it is, I also really like like people out of time or from another, you know, you know, Bill and Ted's also is another favorite of mine. You know, like it's like, what's a ball, you know, like it's kind of fun. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I also think for me, I mean, I was nine in 1992. And then, so I didn't see it in the theater, but then I saw it on the wonderful world of Disney on ABC. And then I, I think that it's like the nineties, like went really fast as far as like what was cool. Like it changed really quickly. And I think this is a very like snapshot of like the band at the prom is like a funk kind of like. I'm sure they would hate it because they're like a super group, a real band, but like yeah. the, that the, they're kind of like a red hot chili peppers funk mm-hmm. moment. And like the way everyone's dressing is like a really specific moment. And so like I could like it as a kid. And then maybe like five years later when I'm watching it and when I'm in high school, I'm already nostalgic for like early nineties when in the late nineties. And I'm like, oh, totally look, look how they are. Yeah. I mean, like already five years later, I'm like, haha, this is great. There's also, well, I mean, I wonder. Okay. Yeah, sorry. No, please go for it. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, I wonder if part of that was, I mean, I think that like what was cool was changing very quickly because I think this like a movie is like a year after uh, a Nevermind, like becomes like you know like this gigantic kind of album, and I do think that there is um, a sort of Pauly Shore, Kurt Cobain, like thing. Uh, in a weird way, they are almost like a kind of like like like. One couldn't have existed without the other. You just, uh, I'm in a weird way. You just, you, you listeners can't see this, but you literally just set up Kurt Cobain and Pauly Shore as like the angel and devil on your shoulders. And I was like, yeah, sure, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. kind of something to that, though. Like, I, I think that there's this. I mean, first of all, you know, Carrie, I know you're a big Wayne's World fan. That also came out in '92. This also feels kind of akin to that a little bit. Like, there's a, a little bit of that vibe to this. And then I also couldn't help but think of Clueless a little bit. Like that band that plays at the end feels very Mighty Mighty Boston's to me a little bit. Like there's just sort of, and also the whole California thing that's going on in this film made me think about Clueless as well. But all of that stuff feels very kind of of a piece in a weird way. And I don't know if it's just because all of those movies for the most part were aimed at us as kids. So like they all feel kind of interconnected. But I also just feel like their comedic sensibilities are kind I mean, this is a sillier movie, right? But like, it does feel comedically similar to Bill and Ted. It does feel like it's not that far from Wayne's world. I think Clues is probably the most, you know, quote unquote, I don't know, intellectual of the bunch in terms of just a high, a slightly more high minded. But like, I don't know. This movie felt also like E.T. to me as well. Like there's all these like weird influences. And I don't think that it's even in the same arena as these movies but i couldn't help but find myself finding it very charming and surprisingly winning i don't know 
I did. I don't know. Also, uh, like, can we go back to when yes. you called it a film before? And I think you should always refer to it as a film. Well, it's it's a movie. Sorry, it's it should a be a film. movie. It's it's a movie. No, it's definitely no, a movie. I disagree. <laughs> but like, it's this is also just you know we were talking a little bit about obviously about Eisner and Katzenberg. This is very much a movie by executives, right? Like, this is very much a. Like it feels like someone around a, a in a boardroom was like this. This is these are the things that are happening in this movie. Yeah, I mean even more even the title. The juice. Yeah, <laughs> more reason the juice than this one is what the focus group said. Well, I mean, I, I but genuinely, they there was a lot of like in terms of the distillation of this movie. They wanted to change the title, but Katzenberg was like, "No, the title is why people are going to go and see this movie." Like, Encino Man is why they're going. So they they weren't they yeah. Well, I, the one thing I wanted to say is actually in Canada, what did they call it? Did they call it Encino Man? Yes. Okay. So I had this conversation. I was like, obviously, I'm thrilled to be here. So I was telling someone who's from the UK. Yes. That I uh, that I was going to this, and he goes, you know, it wasn't called Encino Man in the UK. It was called California Man. And I was like, what? And then so I started looking up what it was in other countries, mm-hmm. and uh, in Germany, it was called Stone Age Junior. A better title, by the way. Yeah, that's, that's a, a better title. And then also in uh, Italy, it was called My Defrosted Friend. <laughs> also a great... These yeah, are all great really titles. Yeah. I mean, California Man, less so, because, yeah. like, the Encino part of it is, like, that's the joke. So I, I don't... I, I'm, I'm a little... And Estonia, I'm sure, probably had issues with this film as well in terms of uh, its its title. But it's just interesting that that Katzenberg... So- Yes, please. Well, can we rename the podcast My Defrosted Friend? Because yes. I think that's really good. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's interesting. So originally, Polly Shore is a lot more involved in the in this sort of film being as good or maybe bad as it is. Um, the filmmakers offered the role of Link to Polly Shore. And Polly Shore turned it down, saying that because he didn't have any <laughs> many lines that Polly Shore's shtick, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, wasn't going to translate. It was just going to, it wasn't going to work. Um, as he said, his humor and unique quote unquote Polly speak would not translate if obviously he didn't have lines. So he was the one that suggested that he be the friend. And then there was sort of a massive rewrite that happened, obviously. And most of Polly Shore's lines are improvised, which should surprise nobody. Uh, you know, that he just kind of. <laughs> doing whatever he wants in this movie. Um, so, which I think is amazing. They also had to fight really hard to get Sean Astin to be in this film. He turned it down nine times. Like he didn't want, he was really didn't want to do this film. They ultimately paid him $250,000, complete creative control of his character, as well as the opportunity to direct a short film and an option to direct two more movies. Like, wow, really, really wanted Sean Astin in this movie. <laughs> Uh, hearing that he had complete creative control just really makes me love that like climactic scene even more because I genuinely mean this. His, uh, I'm actually like scrolling through because uh, uh-huh. I found a transcript uh, uh-huh. of the movie just because like that that final scene was just. I mean, his full commitment. Is this the scene line. where he kisses what's her face? No, no, no. I'm, no, the big fight. 
uh, oh, with Holly sure, sure, Shore sure. after sure. he's trying to uh, um, eject uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. our defrosted friend, and they're having the big fight. Um, his like commitment. Oh man, like I should have pulled the line up. He's like, you know, all you care about is like yes. nugs and grinding, and it's just like <laughs> he just sells out. He it's nugs so chilling and grinding. Nugs yeah, chilling, chilling and grinding. No, but it was like nugs. <laughs> chilling and grinding and it's like he goes for it and it's like <laughs> that's why they needed him because he just is going to give this line a do yep. he channeled that energy again when he said i can't carry the ring mr frodo but i can carry you you could just hear the you feel the <laughs> really yeah that really feels <laughs> it's i mean it is interesting because uh carrie when we talked about this i don't know probably about a month ago we were kind of chatting about this movie and i had not seen it yet you obviously knew it you know by rote and and you were like sean ass is kind of a like his character's kind of a dick in this movie which i agree with by the way like i actually think that dave is like legit not a great guy but he's also a teenager so it's sort of like you can bake up you can put a lot of that stuff into that but i think this character is palatable because it's sean Aston. like if it's not someone like him i think it would be kind of borderline like mean yeah i i totally agree i love sean Aston. Obviously, Goonies was like my number one growing up. And so I love Sean Astin. I had a framed photo of Sean Astin, like as an adult actor squatting. And it said, it was signed and it said, This is our time on it. That was a gift sure, that I sure. received that used to be in my did, office. Jerry. I don't, yeah. the, the, uh-huh. the frame ended up breaking. I've got the picture somewhere. Anyway, so I loved it. And I was like blind to mm-hmm. actually like what he was really like in the movie until watching it as an adult, where I was like, This guy's like basically an incel. He's, yeah, he's like, and he's like showing Robin pictures of them growing up. He's like, why aren't we together? Like, basically, it's like her so fault that up. they're not dating because they have history. Like, she owes him to be them to be dating. And like, so it's very weird. And like, she's like kind of not into him. And then the fact that they end up like kissing at the end, I'm like, how that's the one part of the movie where I'm like, you totally lose me where you're like, there is just absolutely no reason why they should be making out right now. He didn't even really have an arc. She didn't even witness anything. It's not like he did anything. All he did was get punched. Like, and then he's like, we wouldn't even dance with her. I mean, this guy sucks. I mean, I, I just, and, and you, you're, I mean, we'll get to the ending. Cause like the ending has a bunch of stuff that just feels like they're just like, and then this happens and this happens. Freeze frame credits. We're done. Like it, it does feel a little bit haphazard at the end. Um, but I do want to talk, uh, Brendan Fraser for a second here. So this, this movie had, um, a little bit of a moment in the limelight during the Oscars because Brendan Fraser and Ki, Ki Hui Kwan, uh, are both in this film and they both won Academy Awards and Polly Shore tweeted at them after they won their Oscars. <laughs> um, so there was kind of this moment when everyone was like, Encino Man is this, I don't know, forgotten classic or like there was just all this kind of like, you know, film Twitter doing its fucking nonsense. I bring this up just to say that like Brendan Fraser was really reluctant about doing this movie. They also had, he turned it down again, something like seven or eight times. He really didn't want to do it. He had just done School Ties, which we will talk about at another point, Emily, because that was also in 92. It was shot previous to Encino Man, but Encino Man beat it to theaters because I'm assuming Encino Man was shot in a weekend. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, he was really reluctant to do this because he felt like School Ties was breaking new ground and he wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. And I, I feel for the guy because it feels like this movie sends him on a fucking trajectory that really kind of defines him 
for a really long time. And he eventually wraps his arms around it. And he obviously, you know, he's a lovable guy. He seems very sweet. Um, and he was just happy for people to, you know, like him in things, I'm assuming. But like this and, and George of the Jungle and even the mummy to a certain extent and blast from the past and Dudley do right. And you're just like seeing all of these very kind of cartoonish performances from him. Um, you know, obviously thrilled he won an Oscar, maybe not for the whale, but I'm happy that he won an Oscar. But this is all kind of a way of saying like, which Brendan Fraser, I, not do you like more, but like, do you have an affinity for both sides of this coin? Cause you, you, Emily, you mentioned your Brendan Fraser feelings. I mean, if we're going to talk about bisexuality and we have to, because Let's that's, yeah. that's what, yeah. That's the what mummy, it's, is like, about. it's about bisexuality. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the mummy is like the movie for bisexuals who were between the ages of 11 and 21 in 1999, including myself, because a, everybody in that movie is hot and B Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz are like blindingly hot hot in that movie and you're like okay i i understand myself better now which is that i just like hot people it's great (laughs) but like looking at this movie and brendan fraser in this movie i certainly think he's a fine and wonderful dramatic actor he's turned in some tremendous dramatic performances over the years there is a looseness and a freedom to him in comedies like this that is so hard for a lot of people to do. Like he is so winning and approachable and he's playing a part that is theoretically unplayable, but he's like just having a blast with it. And like, I don't, I don't think this is like one of the all time great screen performances or anything, but he is so much better than the role deserves in so many ways. And I think like if this movie works at all and I, I, I'm not going to say I think this is a great movie, but I had an okay time with it. It's because he is so committed and he's so good. And he's always reminding you he's playing a caveman, even when he's like dressed like a fucking reject from the red hot chili peppers. Like it, it, there's just something so elementally good about him. And also, I mean, he's just a good looking guy. I don't know. He's a very attractive man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's a really it's, you you kind of nailed it, Emily. It's a difficult performance. He doesn't have a lot of lines, so most of it's physicality. You know what I mean? It's a silent performance, and he has to convey a lot of information. Um, you really do feel like you're kind of inside Link's head, even without him saying much. Um, and he also just has sort of this kind of golden retriever quality to him where you're just like, he just seems like a really kind of excitable animal that just kind of wants to have fun. Um, which I also think like Dave weirdly resents, which I find kind of strange. Like Dave has so much anger towards the fact that people like Link cause Link kind of doesn't give a fuck about anything. And all Dave cares about is what other people think. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. Let's just say that. Yeah, well, but I think that's like why the movie's kind of incredible is that it yeah. works. It is the most insane premise. It's like kind of right on the cusp of like nobody's making insane premise movies anymore. Like that's like ending. Like Nirvana is here. Mm-hmm. We're serious now. No more funny movies. No more people from the old day, like from a different time. Like, like everybody gets serious. And so it could have completely fallen on its head. But I think that 
weirdly because Sean Astin is actually a good actor because Polly Shore is weirdly like the moral center of this movie yep. and is like when he's like comforting Link like in like yep. the museum he, and he's crying like yep. like Polly Shore is crying in that scene oh. and like and the, and then you have Brendan Fraser who's like a real actor like actually kind of doing a good job you're like how the fuck does this movie work like that's that's crazy like it's like so yep. yes I'm the movie in like has flaws and is like not amazing but at the same time you're like it should be unwatchable and it yet it's like yeah. yeah even though it's like kind of <laughs> well, great okay i mean like i i, I mean okay so <laughs> one i think we need to commit to calling it a film i, uh, I think that's one okay, okay I'm fine and then i think the <laughs> second thing is i agree that there are some great performances. Mm -hmm. I think, like, uh, one that we haven't uh, uh, mentioned is uh, the bad guy, the bully. Um, oh, uh, Wilson. Uh, uh, yeah, that. sorry. Which yeah, something is Wilson, an yeah. incredible uh, bully performance, which I think, it like, is. ranks up there with, like, the best of the over-the-top uh, kind of 80s bad guys. So I agree. Steve? That if we were great is it St oh, Matt Wilson. Matt. Matt Wilson. My Sorry, Matt Wilson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so good. I mean... He's um, great. He's great. And has, like, maybe the line of the movie, she wouldn't uh, uh, piss in your mouth um, if your teeth were on fire, which is just, like, as good as it gets. And Sean Nelson uh, saying, yes, she would. <laughs> yes, she would. And another great, re like, 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 the, like, the honesty of his read back is so, but I think it's important just because I don't want people... And obviously, uh, you might disagree, but like just because, you know, this movie is a, a loose kind of hour and 28 minutes, clearly a lot of filler in that where they must have gotten the first cut and were like, uh -huh. wow, this is 45 minutes. Like, uh, what we need is some, like, just send them to like, uh, like a kind of a water park. We'll put them on a roller coaster and we'll have that be 45 minutes long and they'll just dance for a while um, at the end. I think it, I, I guess I just have to say, I, I agree graded on a curve. It's like, this is way more watchable. But to say that this movie works is a real reach. I mean, it, it works. Like, I mean, like, I, well, I guess I, my, no, my question for you is way. what doesn't work about it? What do you think doesn't work about it? Other than the fact that Robin should not have kissed him at the end. What does it work about Encino man? Well, I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, Okay. I mean, look, I think that it kind of ultimately, yes. it is not always, you know, correct to start to like nitpick something and sure. say it doesn't work because of this. So I don't even think it's fair to do this. But I mean, there's like, almost nothing in this movie that makes sense. <laughs> Starting with the premise, which is, why did he get cryogenically frozen because of the earthquake? And that's I mean, like, okay. So oh, wait, no, wait, hold on. No, I, it's, like, it's like, what doesn't work? And then I start with like 90 seconds into the movie and you're trying to. Well, because I feel like you're kind of. Record. Well, but no, no, no. I'm not trying to write anything from the record. I, I, I do want to say though, because you preempted by saying like, can you put Encino Man under a microscope? And I do think that on some level, that's a little unfair because, like, I don't think that Encino Man is asking for you to question the science. Because I also, the end of the movie, where did his girlfriend come from? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, like, there's questions. I, and those there's questions are completely valid. There's another earthquake, there another and it's earthquake. a spitzer out of the ground. That's, 
That's right. how it yes, works now. Was. Yeah. Every yeah. time there's an earthquake, like three cave people come back to life and we don't know about it, which well, is why it's scary to live in California. Bart, I don't mean to yada yada what, over what you were saying, because I think what you're saying is obviously completely valid. Like we could definitely do a deep dive into the illogical components of this movie. Uh, I don't know what the weasel is, but I love it. I don't know why, why he, why, I, I don't know why Polly Shore keeps saying that he's a weasel. I yeah, couldn't but, explain that to you. Yeah, but, but I also, uh, yeah. like, like, Bart, are you, do you watch, like, Back to the Future and you're like, this isn't real time travel. How'd they get back to the 50s? And do you, like, I mean, are you, it, cause it's suspension of disbelief. You're like, you have to just accept that this is the premise of the movie. You, it's like, I don't know about, like, how'd he get into the ground? It's like, he did. He's here. But then that, I mean, I agree. That doesn't make any sense. It's not real. But the rest of the movie is fine. I think to argue on Bart's side, evidently, um, that uh, this movie doesn't do enough to earn my suspension of disbelief. I think like Back to the Future does a lot of work to earn my suspension of disbelief. And this movie's just sort of like, eh, he's a caveman. You'll go with that. And like, because it's Brendan Fraser, I do. And I always feel weird, like when I'm doing a critical analysis of being like, well, if this one thing was different, it wouldn't like this. But like, it isn't different. Like it is Brendan Fraser, but it's definitely this movie is not really trying to convince me of anything. The actors are, and that's, you know, why it works to the extent it does. I'm sorry, this film. This So this film, I think, is definitely asking too much of its audience. Just to, just to agree with you, Bart, in the sense that, like, the, 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 the leap that it is asking you to go on, which is not just that he's been cryogenically frozen, right? But that, like... Um, he's hidden under like five feet of dirt that a kid could dig up with a single shovel. Um, I mean, there are questions. I also don't really know what that bowl has to do with anything. The bowl seemed important at the beginning, but then it kind of just sort of becomes the dog bowl and we just don't really ask any questions. There's just like stuff there that does make you kind of go like, uh, but the charm of Polly Shore, words I never thought I would say, and and the charm of Brendan Fraser makes it enough that like I had fun with it, but yeah, there's a lot. I got a lot of questions. I'm not. I'm. I'm. You know. Yeah, and look, I don't want to steal this piece of your childhood if this was something you were really connected to, or just even now, if you love the movie, go ahead and love it. Sure. I think though, if you're asking me to list what doesn't work about the movie, I do think that yes. While I don't think it is necessarily appropriate to say like you know, the time travel and back to the future is not completely tight. Yes. Like, like I do think that there are obviously like a level, there are a point at which this is clearly not like thought about or kind of worked on at all to the point where yes, like Phil, the, you know, the thing that stuck out in kind of your memory, this scene in the convenience store, I don't even understand what was supposed to be charming about that. Other than he said things like, He's explaining the food groups to someone who barely has the concept of language. Um, Like I, like I, like there's just, and like, and I guess maybe it rests on your love of Pauly Shore with all due kind of respect to someone who was a iconic performer and a huge person. I don't know that that um, in and of itself is enough to sort of make, many of those scenes work. I mean, including the, like, the many montages. I mean, like, 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 
you know, if you loved the like teaching Brendan Fraser to fight sequence, if you just like throw that on and you're just like, this is a really funny like thing. I guess it's like it's going to be hard for me to. Well, no, I, I yeah, please carry to you out of that. I, yeah, I look. I don't. Uh, uh, no, I don't think that scene where they're fighting is good. I do think obviously the third act of the script is kind of just like they're like go to the end. You know what I mean? Like, and the character arc for the main character, Sean Astin, is so weak that he's not even on the poster. It's literally just Polly Shore and Brendan Fraser. And to Emily's point, like their performances and like who they are is like kind of the entire movie. It's like weirdly an accidental hangout movie where like the best scenes are them just like doing random shit and just like talking and like uh that and like them in school or him in like a class is like the stuff I remember the most as opposed to anything that's like plot related. Um but I think that's that's sort of the thing that's worth talking about is like the the moment in time at which it existed, the way it is able to achieve the suspension of disbelief when it is able to achieve it, even though sometimes it's not. And sure. like that, I think is worth talking about because it, by all accounts, it should completely fail. And I just don't think that it does. And like, I'm not going to ar- argue with you that any of that shit you're talking about makes sense. Of course not. But the, but I think that the others, these, these moments in the movie are, can, can I say frozen in time as like, uh, uh, really <laughs> like kind of just, that just very important in a in an interesting way and i just like i just kind of think it's just fun to talk about so i like i don't i don't necessarily like we i mean like i'm not gonna like hold it up as like an actual like influential film i think this film's legacy is interesting as well in in so far as that i think that there are people like for instance in the episode that preceded this emily we we were talking at the end of uh, our buffy the vampire slayer episode with uh, joanna robinson and at the end of the episode i was like next week we're doing encino man and it was a movie that like she's like oh right like it's a movie that everyone kind of knows everyone kind of knows exists i think that um because of the career of brendan fraser i think that that kind of you know etched it in stone a little bit i think the Polly shore thing has my guess is there aren't a lot of people that are re-watching encino man uh i mean yeah. i just did we all did. And I was really charmed by him, but I also remember back in the day not being as charmed by him. So like I, I do wonder whether or not like the the stink of Polly Shore is also part of this film's legacy. And I almost feel as though like I mean, there's no there there to this movie. I mean, it's not I, I think it might be saying something about like be yourself, I think, maybe. I don't know. I mean, as is, as is every fucking high school movie, it's about like be yourself. So I, I don't know. I don't think it has anything to say. Um, I, yeah. I had forgotten Sean Astin was in this movie and yeah. I had forgotten he was in it while I was watching scenes he was in. Like, I think that is, <laughs> I think that is the key flaw of this movie is its protagonist is just an utter blank. Deeply forgettable. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and like, I, I, I just looked at the Wikipedia page for this, this film. And we were talking about how the third act is just like chaotic. The last five minutes of the movie are summarized in two paragraphs on Wikipedia. Right. Like that's how much space it needs to be like, and then this happens. And then, so like, yeah, it is this thing that is like, it's rolling downhill, but then it just rolls too quickly. And like, you just kind of get, you either yeah. get bowled over by it or you, yeah. 
Yeah. I think that I, I want to give a little bit of context for this film, and then I want to talk about the director a little bit because it is, I think that does give us some insight into this movie. But uh, California teen Dave Morgan, played by Sean Astin, is digging a pit for a pool in his backyard when he happens upon a caveman frozen in a block of ice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say, no, I, I, no, because I'm just, I, it's just, it's, it's just very vindicating to eat, like to even hear we're like five sentences in. And I just don't know why Bart agreed insane. to pick this movie. Why is he here? Do you just like, Wait, what, do you have punishment? to love a movie to want to talk about it? I think it's interesting I thought that's to why talk I, about. Is that, was I, I supposed to pick a movie I hated? Well, no, Bart, I, I think that it's, it's interesting too, because when Bart picked this movie, because I remember talking with Bart about this and, and Bart being like, I don't really remember this movie very well, but I think that it's going to be interesting to talk about. And I think that he's right. Um, as is the case with what, what he's we're having a huge right mistake. now. <laughs> he's made, he, like he did. <laughs> and but I'm I also, sorry. I don't want to take that from you. I just, I, you're not taking anything from anyone. Bart, just to be clear. I will not, that's insulting. I, 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 not say anything bad about this movie again. I, no, I don't Bart, want to straight on good stuff. You, no, can, t- although, you can talk shit about it all you want. I don't mind. I it's you. Okay. There's no way. It's so ingrained in my. It's like a fossil on my heart. You, there's like no, no way to take it away from me. Please do your worst. I, but Bart, I also feel like you know when you came on the '99 podcast, you came on for Mystery Alaska, which was a film that. Uh, I had seen many moons ago. I can't remember if you had seen it before. Um, this this does kind of fall into. A, first of all, it is also a touchstone movie, so there is kind of this milieu that it exists in. This is a I Hollywood do, Pictures movie film. Which they're is, the same. They're the same company. I but, know they're the same thing. <laughs> but I think that to answer kind of your question, Carrie, I do think that there's this little pocket that Bart is interested in exploring, <laughs> which is sort of mid-budget comedies <laughs> that sort of, so I think there's something to just kind of unpack there. All that being said, let me just finish this context very quickly. Uh, Aiden- <laughs> no, I was, no, actually, I think it's time to pivot into Bart's <laughs> podcast presence and what he's trying to accomplish. We're going to get to the bottom of that part. Don't you worry. Uh, aided by his goofy friend Stoney, played by Polly Shore, Dave transports their discovery to his garage where the Neanderthal thaws and is revived. When Dave and Stoney find the living and thoroughly bewildered caveman, they attempt to pass him off as a foreign exchange student named Link, played by Brenda Fraser, resulting in many misadventures. And Sino Man opened on Memorial Day weekend, 1992, against Lethal Weapon 3, Alien 3, Three, Far and Away, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. Uh, it would go on to make $40 million on a $7 million budget. It had 15, 1-5% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 56% from audiences. Roger Ebert, unfortunately, did not review this film, but Variety said, Encino Man is a mindless would-be comedy aimed at the younger set, low-budget quickie, is insulting even when its own no-effort, even within its own no-effort parameters. And the Los Angeles Times said, there's a lot of funny scenes in Encino Man that don't come off because director Les Mayfield and his screenwriter Sean Sheps don't see uh, don't seem to have made up their mind about how smart they want this film to be. It seemed like Link freaking out during a visit to the Laboratory Pits Museum should count for a lot more than it does. Uh, it should also be said that Polly Short's performance uh, won him a Razzie for Worst New Star. Um, now that's still, just unfair. That's I unfair. agree. That's unfair. Uh, the Razzies are the fucking worst. I don't, I don't have anything good to say about the Razzies. But, uh, but Les Mayfield, the director of this film, <clears throat> uh, did Encino Man. He did a remake of Miracle on 34th Street, uh, I believe, with Richard Attenborough. He directed that? 
He directed Flubber in 97. He directed Blue Streak in 99. So, like, this guy, you know, pretty broad. Les, Mayf- Les Mayfield is the name of a waterbed salesman who won a contest to direct a Hollywood movie. That's not he like. He got to do it a few times. Yeah. 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 So, you know, he's got that going for him. I, I just, I think that this movie is very cartoony. I think that the tone of this movie is kind of from the jumping, like, don't take us too seriously. I think that they wanted to weaponize Polly Shore, who was kind of becoming a thing within his little enclave. Um, and it all kind of worked out, right? I mean, this movie probably made in, in 2023 dollars almost $100 million. <laughs> so, like, you know, it, it ultimately worked out for everybody. But... um I, I want to talk about Pauly Shore, um, who uh, this is his first real thing. Uh, this is his first film. He was in a Married with Children episode. Um, he was he did some bit parts and stuff, uh, and then he does this. And then the next year, I mean, it's it's this guy has a movie that comes out every year for about six years. <laughs> It's Encino Man, Son-in-Law, In the Army Now. He's a voice in a goofy movie. Uh, He's in Jury Duty, then Biodome. Um, He plays himself in a Playboy video on the best of Jenny McCarthy. Um, He's... which he, he then is in uh, two Casper films, um, and then it's kind of it's it's kind of over from there. But that run, the run that you mentioned earlier, Carrie, and Sino Man, Son in Law, In the Army Now, Jury Duty, Biodome. That that that's the that's the five. Don't um, don't erase Goofy movie. Goofy movie well, is I think I would a, never, a key part of the Pauly Shore story. But continue. I, I of these five films, Bart, have you seen any of them? I don't think so. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I was, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that I, it's like, I, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, I'll wake you, Emily. I don't think I had like a real strong opinion on Pauly Shore at the time. Um, I don't think I saw those movies. I will say yes. I loved him in this movie. Not, in a way where I was like, I'm liking this, but, <laughs> but, but, but that's purely a taste thing. I think he is an, like a complete, like fully realized version of himself um, in a way that I do sure. think is like really kind of interesting to watch. Like, I don't like, it's like, it's hard to describe. Like if you were trying to describe Pauly Shore to someone who had never seen him, like, Oh, like this is what he was doing. It's really hard to describe, and it's so unique that, like, I, like, well, it's like not my thing. I do understand why he was a huge deal. Like, it is so developed, and it's like really fun to try to talk like him, which I've not like mastered being able to do. But there is a sort of like um embodied like, like thing about him that I think is really cool. I watched this. And was like, I get why this was a big deal. Similar to what you're saying, Bart. Like, I was like, this is its own animal, right? And I also understand why anyone over the age of 30 was like, this needs to stop. We need to stop this in its, in its, in its tracks. Um, but at the same time, he's so sweet in this movie. I was really shocked by how, like, 
endearing and like big hearted his character was like he is as you said carrie he's like the the beating heart of this movie which i was really surprised about and i found myself being like do i do i love Polly shore i don't think i'm gonna watch any of his other movies but like i'm i might be on board i recommend son-in-law i okay. feel like that's the one that like i said that's the realest of all of them okay and like I uh, the poster um, yeah it's it's like do you know the story of that movie no, no. It's like so. It stars um, what's her name? I'm looking. Carla right Cugino. Carla yes. Cugino. So Carla Cugino like lives in like Nebraska, <laughs> and she decides to leave her home and go to UCLA for college. But she's like kind of like a small town girl. So mm-hmm. she's like, and she wants to go to LA or whatever. And it's like really weird and intimidating. And her RA, her resident advisor, is Polly Shore, and uh, and he's not named. Stony or or the you know the weasel or whatever he's his name's crawl uh and uh um, i different. love that you it's, made it sound like his name was gonna be it's normal. completely different uh, so anyway he like they like he, he's basically like she wants to leave school and he's again weirdly the moral center of this film which is like i think like weirdly is like core to Polly shore is like he's actually a good person so like so he's the moral center and he's like she shouldn't leave like you haven't even left campus like you have to like go explore or whatever so she gets a makeover she gets a butterfly tattoo whatever and she kind of like becomes very like venice 1993 kind of like chick and then it's like thanksgiving she's gonna go back home he doesn't have anywhere to go back for thanksgiving so she it's a thanksgiving movie if you have one time of year to watch it go back to they go and then they meet the family and then you know chaos ensues and there's a bit of a kind of like abandoned romantic element that like kind of never goes anywhere that obviously was like edited out but um but it's a it's kind of great um and you want to say for what it's worth Carrie, and I, I'm not suggesting that you're incorrect in the fact that his name is, uh, in the film, his name is Crawl. On the poster, however, I don't know if you remember the poster for this film. There's a duck that says the duck. There's a pig that says the pig. There's a cow that says the cow. And there's a picture of him that says the weasel. So, so they, they know who they're trying to get in the seats. Well, but, but also just to go back to... <laughs> You know, man, the movie we're here to talk about. Correct. So uh, sure. I, I think it's like weird that, I, like, I wonder if like the studio executives were like, we're going to put this guy in the movie and he's going to be the texture of this movie. Like everybody else is going to be like super generic and like sure. everything about this person is going to be like really specific. Or were they like kind of like, eh, well, we're not thinking about it. We're just going to cast this guy. And they start looking at the dailies and they're like, what the hell? He's like the Jack Sparrow of the movie. Like everybody else is like taking it like dead serious. And he's like, hey, like, you know, like this, you know, and I think that like somehow he manages to be like, completely in on the joke of the movie and yet the emotional center of the movie like it's just it's just kind of amazing that it like exists and I agree. I, it just i don't know it's it's a pretty it's just it's kind of feels like a moment in time like when has someone taken that identity that they had in real life even though it is a performance but it, it existed as like a performance maybe like you know actually who's another example of this Artie, toby huss his character in Pete and Pete, sure. uh, already one the strongest of the, man in the world. Great that, TV shows. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I have a framed poster of it in my office. I, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. So he, I'm pretty sure he did already the strongest man in the world, like as a character, like do in 
you know, kind of like black box theater, you know, or like mm-hmm. improv scene, whatever. And they got him and they put him in the show as that character. Like that's like kind of the only other example I can think can of. I, can I bring up one other character that, that Polly Shore kind of reminds me of? Um, Ernest. Do we all remember Ernest? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Ernest. Ernest P. Worrell. Uh, played by Jim Varney, star of 13 films, I believe. I looked this up. He's he was he was in a because I was like, I should tell Blank Check to do the Ernest movies yes. as as commentaries, yes. and then there's just so many of them, and many. like a distressing number of them are racist. So, like, I it it's uh, yeah, nobody should watch the Ernest movies, but I've there's actually a lot never of seen an Ernest. Mo- I mean, I know Ernest as a character, but like, I never got into the Ernest movies. So that's fine. Ernest I saves I Ernest saves Christmas, pretty good. Ernest scared stupid, not that great, but watchable. And that's kind of it. So there you I, go. The first, I have a feeling I saw the first one. Ernest goes to camp. Definitely saw that. That was 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ernest saves Christmas is 88. And then we're, yeah, then we're, yeah. Then we're Ernest goes to Africa. I'm assuming <laughs> is not a great one. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> I've never, I've actually never seen it. Maybe it's a very, maybe it's like a very it's, thoughtful portrayal, but like the cover of it, I'm just like, no, that's, that's probably yeah. not. But I bring it up just because I think what you're saying, Carrie, is true. Like he the, clearly, like Polly Shore is like, you know, there's only one lane, right? There's only one gear. You can't really do all that much with it. And on top of the fact that like, he's a little asexual on top of everything too. So you're in a situation where like, you can't build a rom-com like son-in-law if you wanted there to be romance. Except There's like for in the army now where he has a romance with Lori Petty and weirdly the only person who could tame Polly Shore is Lori Petty. Let's be honest. By like, the way, that actually sounds great. I would watch that. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the and other, it's, I, it's, sorry, go ahead. Okay. No good. Well, I, well, I mean, I was going to maybe take a kind of issue with the idea of Polly Shore as a kind of asexual. Cause I do actually okay. think, a huge part of his appeal is I don't understand the relationship, but there is a uh, an eroticism that is like part of his thing in a very sort of like naked way, pun intended, um, where there is a sort of uh, an androgyny, a lack of like container or boundary that I do think is like part of his thing. Like there is a lot of like, sort of like uh, like a kind of liquid movement about him. Um, He's very sensual, and, actually, now that yeah, you said yeah, yeah, put it that yeah. way. So, I mean, so, like, <laughs> this is going to sound a, 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 like a, a, a bit, but, like, I wonder if I'm coming around on this movie. Because here's the thing um, intellectually is, like, after I acknowledged that maybe Pauly Shore just wasn't my thing, and then hearing what you just said, Carrie, about the way that he, like, this movement, that, that he is, like, like the dense mass that like warps this entire like movie around him where it's like, like, like maybe at the end of the day, if I just liked Pauly Shore better, and I don't mean that in like a disrespectful way, I'm saying this is not, it's just purely taste that maybe if I was just like more into what he was doing, I would like this movie better. And maybe it's as simple as that, where it's like maybe the checkout scene is just there is like a lot more charming. If you just like what he's doing. I'm, I, I think I'm going to tie this all together. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to explain Polly Shore, which is, you know, the, the mission of this podcast. Um, I was thinking about this. Polly Shore was allowed in my house in a way that Jim Carrey wasn't, that Adam Sandler wasn't. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian home, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And 
the more I think about it, his vibe is kind of stoner, kind of surfer dude, but not really. His real vibe is Christian band worship leader, which is like a guy who used to be a stoner probably, or used to be, you know, he did drugs or whatever. And now he's reformed and he talks about how he used to do drugs, but he doesn't anymore, but he still kind of has the trappings of that. So like, there is this weirdly like moral thing about him where you feel like he's trying to teach you some sort of lesson, even though you can't quite grasp what's happening. So when I look at Pauly Shore, I see evangelical Christianity in the 1990s, as I'm sure most of us do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also think in the, maybe in the movie, in this movie, he plays a role of like, I don't know who you, if there's anybody you had in your high school who seemed to kind of like see the matrix, like that they're just marching to the beat of their own drummer. They don't care. Like even in the movie, he knows he's like a loser, but he like doesn't care. He's like, he's like, he's kind of just like completely understands the system and is like above it or adjacent to it or whatever. Like he's not affected by it in a way that's got some grace to it. And so he is cool by not being cool because he doesn't care. He's just doing his own thing. And like, he, he can he admit literally says that. Like yeah. when Dave in the beginning is like, we're losers. He's like, I'm not a fucking loser. I'm on my own wavelength, man. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think that that's like very connective. Yeah. And even to the characters in the movie, like, I mean, aside from maybe like Robin Tooney, who's having nothing to do with him. um, Everybody else is kind of like he's. And also the, I've noticed in watching it this time, I've seen it like a million times in that convenience store scene he knows the names of both the people that work there he knows the name of the janitor literally in the beginning of the movie when he's like don't don't tell anybody about like like sean Aston's like don't tell anybody about this don't tell anybody he's like can i tell steve cruiser meaning the janitor he's like can i tell the janitor and he says no and then later they he says hi to him it's the janitor that he wanted to tell like it's so like there's something weirdly kind of like he's like what that guy in high school that just kind of was like just cool and weird and fun and like just doesn't give a shit about anything and like i just think that like i love guys like that so it's just like i think it's really fun and like look yeah i guess if i was like an old person i would think it was obnoxious but i kind of just as a middle schooler i was like this is hilarious and like that cool i don't know you want to know another guy who could really see through the matrix and understand how everything worked and knew the names of everyone he met that man was Jesus Christ, and he was. Well, I mean, if we're going here, like, that's <laughs> like I've been waiting for this opening. But well, I mean, uh, one thing that I did want to point out is just in the comparison or like uh, contrasting him with sort of like Jim Carrey and maybe a kind of Adam Sandler, mm-hmm. something that really can unites Jim Carrey and a uh, 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 kind of Adam Sandler is this sort of like comedic deployment of rage which in some ways is like the opposite of like Pauly Shore's vibe like this is a character without rage uh, mm-hmm. um, it would seem like like even in the most tense scene in the movie he's not necessarily like uh, raising his voice he's making a sort of imp- like a, a heartfelt appeal to what is right about like standing by your friends I, I totally agree. I, I was I think that's I think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit of like the gentleness of him in this film is what I think warmed my heart so much as I was watching it because I I had this 
preconceived notion, or at least maybe how I internalized Polly Shore back in the day, was like just annoying, right? Like he sounds like he's talking in some weird surfer weasel language that I don't completely understand. He's making these like weird kissy weasel noises all the time. And I'm just like, I just didn't get it. And I, I think that, you know, at 12, I was just like, this is just not my tempo. Like, I can't, I can't get on this wavelength. And you know then another guy that the people didn't always understand. He wasn't always. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, Bill, you can't see until you're ready. And, That's you know, like, like, like watching uh, it yesterday, a few steps ahead of you, just waiting for you. He was just up. he was always there. I just didn't know it. And And I think that watching it yesterday, I was just like. This is really sincere. Like I, 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 this is just not anything that I was expecting. Um, and and I well, think, and his yeah. entire thing, his entire bit is a, like a sort of childlike playfulness with language that is really yes. about like, yes. like, like a rhythm and a sort of felt experience of speaking in a, just a sort of silly, fun way. Yeah. Polisher is obviously a genius. I think that's what. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing. I I genuinely think I might watch Son-in-Law and In the Army Now um, because I do think that uh, there might have been something there that I just wasn't open to at the time. But I also feel like he was surrounded with other people, your Carrot Tops, your Yahoo Seriouses. All of these guys kind of felt akin to one another because it all felt kind of like shticky and... But all that stuff, I mean, those those guys, they all like suck. And I do feel like maybe Polly Shore just got like un, unfairly glommed in with them. Is it just the curly hair thing? Because they all do have the kind of they do all have curly hair. hair. <laughs> they like, do all yeah. have curly hair. Um, I, I I think it's um it's worth talking just in terms of some stuff. The plot of this film, as we dis- as we discussed earlier, is uh is is. The whole film is 84 minutes with credits. Uh, the credits are are padded up top with a long credit sequence before we get to a cave where we have just a very brief amount of, um, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, prehistoric. What, what what time period are we saying this this uh, uh, he is from? He's supposed to be Cro Magnon, uh, man. Right? Cro Magnon. Okay, sure. Anyway, uh, yes, the Ice Age, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, don't they say that in the um, yes. classroom scene? So we have like some sort of uh, uh, earthquake happens. Him and his girlfriend are buried in ice or buried. We don't really know what's going on. And then we cut to present day where there's also an earthquake happening. We we meet Dave. He's in bed. A slushy falls on him from a place I don't really understand since there's no shelves above him. But I like I like that you talking through the plot of this movie is going to talk you out of liking it just as part. (laughs) has no. been talked into liking it. That's it's where you're happen. wrong. That's where you're no, wrong. No, I think it's also going to talk me out of it as well because yeah, <laughs> like there's just there's just a lot of stuff that was like But I'm not I I, listen, I don't trying. we don't need to do a, a deep dive into it, but there's some stuff that I wanted to hit no, we in the need plot. to do one. We <laughs> yeah. wanted to explore what's going on here. <laughs> I I think that the sort of central I guess it's the kind of the the crux of the movie outside of the Link and Sino Man component, but like it's the Dave is in love with this girl Robin, who he was uh, who he has like a he's known her since first grade. He had a picture of them in a bathtub together as children that he flaunts in front of her for reasons that I think are bad idea. Just don't do that. Um, 
But uh, so he's bummed out that she's dating this guy, Matt Wilson, who's like a jock and a bully who humiliates Dave and Stoney and like whatever. Um, and she seems really into him. But like it takes very little to turn her off of Matt. But the, it, it's I think that the that bearing wall of story is just real shaky. Like, I don't think that that was just well executed ultimately. And I think that with that not working, that's maybe the, the big fault I would say if I had a problem with this movie, but um, I, I think that uh, Dave. So, okay. So they, they, they unearth link. He's melting in the, in the, in the garage when he goes to school and he starts bragging to Robin about finding a caveman, which is an insane and a, and slash pathetic thing to do. Which I just don't really, but whatever um that happens you just don't understand phil you just don't understand yeah. how it would be if I, you <laughs> so when they come home and they discover link link is understandably um hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, confused by the world around him and the way that they calm him is with a, a lighter by fire is what calms him or as Stoney says flamage um, and that calms Link down and then Dave said we need to teach him to be normal and then Stoney says no we're going to go psycho with him bro <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing I'm a I do feel like and, and you're just like, reciting the plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I mean, like, I don't, again, want to, like, uh, nitpick the movie. But I do think it, <laughs> like, his first exposure to the world, I feel like, mm-hmm. was just a profoundly a lazy moment. Where it's just, like, mm-hmm. he just suddenly seems to be, like, very unfreaked out, fairly accepting of, you know, <laughs> things like, sort of, like, a suburban like kind of architecture and, you know, like just like walks inside a house, you know, somehow gets the television on and is sort of like, he steps on the remote television. Sorry. Right. So, I mean, like, I, like, I, like, I do think there is like, uh, that goes in the lost column for the movie that like here, like, like, you know, like the real sort of like playing of the premise, the caveman wakes up, and what does he make of like modern society that must be so crazy to his eyes? Well, he just kind of doesn't like make a lot of it. He's just sort of like moving through it in this way that is not particularly freaked out or um, kind of upset until like until the one thing that he has seen before, which is other human beings, that freaks him out. 
Yeah. Can I, yeah, please, Emily. Yeah. Can I hop in here with one of the things I want to talk about, which is the popular, and this is not me even, this is not even me kidding. This is the popular transmasculine reading of the film Encino Man, in which Brendan Fraser, uh, there are some, Brendan Fraser's kind of like, I don't want to say a transmask icon because I'm basing this on like three trans guy friends I have who all just think sure. he's great. But like, there is a quality to this movie of, oh, this, this man has been frozen in ice and he wakes up and suddenly he just like is alive and sees the world and like can just take part in it. But then other people perceive him and he gets very freaked out by that. And like, there has been discussion of this movie as like a text for trans masculine people is like, here's who I am deep down inside. But then like when you encounter the rest of the world, they don't quite know what to make of you. This movie has one is one of the few movies to have a makeover sequence about a guy where he becomes like a cooler, hipper dude. Mm -hmm. Like when you read the Brendan Fraser character as sort of a symbolic trans man, there's like a weird level of resonance here. I don't think anybody involved in this movie knew they were doing that, but you know what? It's uh, it, it's it's an interesting angle on it that I think is like sort of worth talking about as we talk about the fact that he seems sort of unbothered by the fact that he's here. It's like he's happy to be here, like he always knew he was going to arrive, which is why Link is a trans mask icon. Well, <laughs> is there also the whole egg component too of the of Maybe. the melting uh ice chunk would you say i, that I suppose i suppose that that it's possible yeah i think that you know um i think that there is this like really rich feeling of of for all, a lot of trans people of being like sort of frozen in the back of your own brain and then thawing out and stepping forward and being like hey look at me what am i doing and like this movie literalizes that in in a really fun way. So yeah, I could see, I could see it playing as sort of an egg metaphor in certain ways. Well, uh, and yes, please. Oh, good. Yeah, go ahead. Bert. I was going to say, well, I mean, like, because there is like, there's also something like, like potentially a uh, kind of interesting um, along this line with, you know, sort of like, like part of the setup that we're given, um, you know, is like the teacher, like uh, talking about sort of like, uh, like a, a caveman and really like discussing how, sort of like violent and scary like a uh, uh, kind of a caveman would be but mm -hmm. then in a, a, a kind of actuality like he becomes the counterpoint for the the matt character who is a sort of like like uh, like arguably a toxically masculine mm -hmm. um sort of character and so then like this sort of like um more sort of like fun loving peaceful and connected like version of a kind of masculinity that is genuinely a kind of masculine, but sort of like un, um, like I I, I don't know if like damaged uh, um is the right word or like just like less like um like like um yeah like tainted or a kind of affected like I do think there is something along the lines that you're talking like sort of uh, kind of interesting in that. It's not weighted down by tens of thousands of years of like trauma that has been like baked into what we think of as masculine. It's like a pure, right. it's like pure vibes. It's just like fun yeah, yeah. masculine vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess he's, well, yeah. it's funny. He's, he's still very like aggressive with women, mm -hmm. but it's, 
uh, yeah. like where he's like sniffing their hair and he like jumps down <laughs> and he's like, good, it's yeah. in her face and he's yeah. like drawing boobs and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. but it, there is something childlike about it. Whereas like Matt's version of masculinity is very, very angry and he doesn't want anyone to like replace him. And he doesn't like, and he's like kind of just yep. like, he's, he's, he's got sort of a like aggressive anger. Yeah. 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 Authority <laughs> sort of like kind of creepy, like, when it's like when he when uh uh Brennan Fraser's doing it, it's kind of funny, but like when and maybe just sort of innocent and the way when he does it, you're like when he's with her at the door, when she's like trying to yeah. get after they they go to the bar or whatever, it's very like right on the border. It's like it's yeah. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very threatening. She's like having to like get away. Yeah. Um, it's different it's the difference between a guy who thinks he's owed something from a woman and a guy who's just like, Hey, you're really hot. Like they're both forms of sexism and misogyny, but like one is like, I mean, thanks. I'm hot. Thank you. You're right. And the other one's like, please go away. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. You know, it's, it's, you know, speaking of, of creepy dudes, um, there's a right said Fred needle drop that happens when he's um, getting his makeover uh, of the I'm too sexy. Uh, when he's, you know, not, not that right said Fred, uh, they, they've done, they've, they're, they're creepy, not great dudes. I, I, now they are still a, still a great song, uh, and still a great needle drop and still, what, what's up, Emily? You look like you, the cat that ate the canary. <laughs> you just feel like you're digging yourself some weird. No, I, 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 listen, right said Fred sucks. If you guys have read any I of their have, fucking no tweets, yeah, they have, okay. they've done some. They've, yeah. Yeah. This is uh, news to me. Oh, okay. Well, they are. Um, they were like anti-vaxxers, and anyway. Oh, wow. Um, so yes, I don't Art. doubt you that right said Fred is bad. I just liked hearing you like slowly try to like. Th- I'm but, not but unringing I- the bell. It's that that's their their journey to go on. But yes, Bart, you were going to say something. I no, I mean like I like I like I was just uh, thinking about the idea of this is a great song. Well, uh, like it I is was a great just song. trying to. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to see how i felt about that but i think i'm fine with it i mean it's it's a song that's been sampled by if i'm not mistaken beyonce and taylor swift <laughs> so like right. i think that you know for what it's worth it's it's a it's a bit of a banger but it's also just a great sequence um of watching them uh bathe link and give him a haircut and turn him into uh yeah i guess a member of of uh, red hot chili peppers essentially um which is kind of great um young rose mcgowan shows up in her first credit uh in this film um she's great just given off that rose mcgowan vibe that, that everybody loves um kind of a i there's also this moment where there's like this sad scene where dave is like i we need to use link to get popular and then stoney says i just want him to be i just want to be his friend and you're just like it's just i don't know there's just something really adorable about it i i I think that that's uh really great we talked about the convenience scene obviously the convenience store scene um i want to talk for a second about uh were hockey rinks a hangout for kids in california in 1992 because like they go to this blades ice rink was hockey like uh, bigger in 92 yeah, it just feels like hockey was kind of having a moment. Am I crazy? Did like Bart? You're more of a sports person than I am. I, I so I don't know if like in '92. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember hockey ever having ever a moment. Being um, but like, yeah, like it. 
it uh, very well could have. Uh, you're right that there was, you know, like the Mighty Ducks at some point came out. And um, I don't know where we were at with like the Olympics like cycle. Uh, um, I feel like there's I always just... like a moment where people like like are trying to care about hockey for a second. Uh, um, around the well, Olympics. that's what I'm, I'm kind of wondering about in the arc of, of hockey. I know that sort of there was a lockout and I know that there was expansion and both those things kind of hurt the sport. And I'm just kind of wondering if it may be in 92, it was a bigger I, deal. I don't know. Look, well, first, let me just say, if you do D2 on the Patreon, I'm here for it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's superior to the original, much like, like Adam's whoa. Family Values and Empire Strikes Back. And T2. Yeah, and T2. T2, also D2. Is better. Um, I just I I I have a, a theory as to why hockey mm-hmm. was having a moment, which Great. is Wayne Wayne Gretzky was mm-hmm. traded to I the was, Los Angeles Kings in the uh, early nineties. Go ahead. He yeah, was I was I, I was gonna say that the other thing that I was I was gonna bring up Wayne Gretzky because I think that that was like he was the sort of the Michael Jordan of hockey, I guess. Absolutely. But the but I also I think I suspect. They're like, we want this guy to be a jock and we want it to be cheap. Let's go to the interior skating rink. But like, I, I like, I bet you that's all it was. And, and like, it just looks different. It's not as, it's not as obvious as like football or whatever. And like, why would they, this just made it, I think it, I bet you it was something practical like that because, and it probably was like, as Emily's saying, it was like having a moment ish anyway. And then this was this kind of like, it, was kind it of feels specific, which out. I like. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I, and, and it, it did make me sort of the the only thing that bumped me ultimately wasn't even the kids would hang out in an ice rink. It was more just that they would hang out in an ice rink in California. Like I, I have no doubt that like around the Great Lakes or what have you, I'm sure ice rinks were hangouts for kids. It was just kind of geographically that was the thing that bumped me a little bit. But to your point. I liked the specificity of it. Like I liked the fact that like it was a location that you don't see that often. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, but yeah. Bill, you're from Canada. How often did you hang out in ice rink? I mean, I would say like a lot. It wasn't, I wouldn't say a lot, but I would say, you know, a handful of times enough that like it, it didn't, it wouldn't, it really wasn't a surprise that the kids were hanging out there. It was more of just the fact that I was like, but the, the Gretzky thing makes total sense. Yeah. One thing I want to go back to, because you're yeah, kind yeah. of going through the plot, but not. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. you skipped over when the parents get home. Correct. When uh, and they're like trying to explain like who Link is. And I love that they gaslight the parents. They're like, what? I taught we talked about this a month ago. Linkovich, Shmovsky from Estonia. He's staying with us. Like, how could this is about my future? And they're like, I think I <laughs> I think I remember. And it's like, it's kind of the realest scene in the movie because the parents are obviously like so overworked and like, don't know their kids and they're, but they don't want to seem like they don't know. And then like the dad slowly, like the dad, who's also in uh, my girl too, also put me on Patreon for my girl too. <laughs> um, and also, I actually would like to do one. That's like part my girl Two, part last action hero with that same actor, that guy, that kid. <laughs> I got a whole thing about it, but the, but anyway, <laughs> I sounds guess like a, saying, sounds like a great take. I can't wait to read I hear all about it. <laughs> so the the uh uh but like the both the parents are like they're like I think yeah, I guess I remember and like, yeah, exactly, see? And then like and then like you cut to Polly Shore and he goes, See, he's not focusing. <laughs> like and it's <laughs> it's this great moment. Like you're just it's like great. 
It's yep. really good. I mean, it's Polly Shore that says Estonia for what it's worth. So, exactly. so you got to give Polly Shore credit for that. Um, and I, so, uh, one of my close friends from back home is Estonian. So this was one of those things that like kind of weirdly put them on the map a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like pop culture wise, it made people go like, Oh yeah, uh, that's where Link is from, which I mean, obviously is ridiculous, uh, and not great for their country probably. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I I feel like the parents and the sister are also to, to your aforementioned point earlier, Bart, like m- leaving money on the table a little bit. Like we don't, they don't really do as much as I like that scene. I feel like you could have got a little bit more juice out of those characters and out of just the family dynamic. If you were, for instance, uh, trying to stretch for time, for instance. I don't know if that's something that this film was maybe plagued with. I do feel as though, like, the sister is just kind of an obvious foil that they don't really use. Yeah, I also feel like, I just feel like if we're going to be talking about the cast, Robin Tooney, can we do... Oh, yeah. Like, Love Robin Tunney. Yeah. I mean, is it Tunney? I think it's Tunney, but maybe it's Tunney. I, I don't know. I mean, like, but anyway. I'm looking but, this up. Okay, okay. <laughs> so... I, I was thinking about like her roles in that mm-hmm. that era mm-hmm. and think about like she's a chameleon. She's this like sort of like, you know, like regular hot person. Uh-huh. Then she's in Empire Records yep. as Deborah. Yeah. The like kind suicidal, of emo goth one. Yeah. Emo goth, suicidal, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, shaves her head the mm-hmm. whole nine. And then she's in the craft. Yep. I mean. Wearing obviously a wig because she shaved her head for Empire Records. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, not a great wig either. It's yeah. not a good wig. But she is really good in that. And then, you know, we talked about her actually in 99. She's in, in a film called uh, End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where she's actually pretty good in that movie. Like, I, and then she, didn't she have like a pretty, was she on like The Mentalist or something like that? She was on, or yeah. Prison Break. Yeah, or, yeah. She had like a huge run on some long running uh, television show as well. Um, but yeah, I think she's great. I, I And she's, and she pops in this too. Like, She's fun. I would argue uh, better than the girl that plays Robin. I think. Uh, thank you for giving me the opening for that, Phil, because it's the other thing I want to talk about. But I think that um, she got killed off on Prison Break or something. Okay. Like that show never knew how to use her. But she, I think she was on The Mentalist. I just wanted to mention that her tops in this movie, like her like shirts, blouses and shirts and shit, are just out of this world great. Yep. It's the Emily's Fashion Corner, like. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is just this is just a preview of what I do in Mighty Ducks next oh, week, boy. which is just me scrubbing through the movie and being like, "There's some great outfits." Talking um, about uh, Marguerite. Uh, oh my God, why Moreau? Marguerite Moreau. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Megan Ward, Phil, who plays Please. the who plays Robin, the love interest. Please. One of those actors who every time I see her, I'm like, oh, it's Megan Ward. I'm so glad she's in this. And then I'm like, why? But she was in a one season TV show on NBC called Dark Skies, which I was obsessed with. Like a lot of my like creative storytelling juice comes from fucking Dark Skies. This show nobody else remembers that is about like, what if the alien conspiracy was real and just goes all in on it? And then, like, in the second half of the season, they realize they're probably not getting renewed. So they just do a whole bunch of, like, wild plot beats. They just pull the rug out from under the characters 15 times. It's amazing. Megan Ward is, like, the is it lead love. Is it X-Files? Sorry it, no, it's, it was an X-Files, it was an X-Files clone. 
Okay. And like, uh, but they very quickly just sort of went off and did their own thing. Mm-hmm. And Megan Ward is in it as the love interest of the uh, main guy who I believe is played by Eric Close is the actor's name. Yeah. Um, and she, so they come in as like the perfect Kennedy couple. And then they discover that aliens are taking over the planet. And what they're doing is they're implanting like things in people's brains called the ganglions. And the ganglions are going to come and like fuse with your brainstem and make you part of the overall alien hive. And I'm realizing I've ripped off this plot device six or seven times in my own writing. I'm having some thoughts now about like how important Dark Skies is to me. But the thing that this show did that blew my mind was uh, Megan Ward gets pregnant at some point in the season. And then somehow it turns out that like the aliens need the baby or something. Mm-hmm. And instead of having them like take it from her, she gives herself to them and becomes part of the alien collective. And then she's just one of the bad guys for the rest of the show. And like, did it get a full 22? It got a full 22. <laughs> I don't know why they gave it the full 22, but they did. It's kind of a weirdly brilliant show. It's not a very good show, but like it does so much wild shit. And Megan Ward is very good at playing a bad girl and that they sh- people should learn that from Dark Skies. And, and she should have played a bad girl in Encino Man. I think it would have made the movie better. Five out of five stars. Are you looking for you with something to say about, uh, about all this? Well, I was just going to, I mean, it's like, it's probably not super important, but like, does she like give herself over to the aliens um, in order to like save the baby or is it just like a, like a non sequitur? No, she, yes, she can. She consciously makes the choice of I'm going to join the aliens. I'm going to be part of them. And then she's like throughout the rest of the season, like Eric close will just be like, no, I still love you. And she'll be like, I'm an evil alien woman now. And he's now working with Jerry Ryan, also known as seven of nine. And like, that was how I got to know her first. So, like, every time anybody from Dark Skies turns up in anything, to this day, 20 years later, I'm like, oh, that's from, they're from fucking Dark Skies. 30 I years later. Sorry. I asked Bart what he wants to ask, and he preempts it by saying, this might not be important. And his question <laughs> is about fucking Dark Skies. <laughs> listen, I go where the muse leads. I, I, I have to follow my interest. As you should. That's all I have in this world. <laughs> before, before we get back to Encino Man, Carrie, do you have questions about Dark Skies? Because I can answer them. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, Dark Skies sounds like a Carrie Globally show. I, 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 like, I can't believe I missed it, but uh, uh, it must it's have been on. It's on DVD. So, oh, great. Sure, yeah. sure. Great. I'd love do you want to do a Dark Skies about. podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, I love that. I well, so, staying on Megan Ward for a second. Just get back to Encino Man. Yes, for, for yes, yes, line. please. Because yeah. I was being very ungenerous to Sean Astin's character and saying that he was kind of incel and like you know feeling sure. like he deserved to date her even for no reason. Mm-hmm. I will say she commits her own crimes in this film, which is that in addition to her, her hair crimes, which I've also committed her prom hair with the two ringlets and the like. I did that in like ninth grade, but that. But the, the true crime is she knows that Dave is in love with her. She knows that. Yeah. And she says, no, I don't want to go to prom with you. I want to go with Link. I'm sorry. That is not, that's not okay. It's she not should okay. be kicked out of the movie at that point. But, not, I, and then she, but she even realizes, she goes, oh, we can all go together as a group. You're like, Ugh. I mean, it's brutal that she does that. No question. But then Dave doubles down into something even fucking worse, which is trying to ditch Link just like out in the fucking country, out in the boonies, because he doesn't want him to go to prom with Ron. That's that's a line too far for Dave. No, as far that's as I'm a, yeah, that's where you really lose it, and you're like, I don't like, even. What? How do you come back from that? 
Yeah. Right. Well, and this is a genuine question. It's like how, because like, I mean, like agree with both of these points, I guess. Does it, I mean, like the movie is aware that he's like doing something terrible and this is his sort of moment of truth. And this is his like, you know, like, like uh, the movie is not necessarily on his side. Um, Also, just to go back, it's like, I would actually just have been curious to see um, an alternate movie where he like continues to build that pool. Cause it is pretty audacious that he's like, I'm going to build a pool in my backyard. It's like, did he have cement lined up? Like how far was he prepared to take this? Well, you but bring so up the I pool. guess the question, I, I do want to just piggyback on this pool notion for a second, because uh, they just fill this dirt hole with water and the kids just like jump into this disgusting, dirty fucking hole of water that's not a that's not a pool party that's disgusting but anyway <laughs> but, like, yeah, like you but didn't like, grow up in south dakota phil we would jump in a disgusting <laughs> hole full of water all the time Touché. yes Bart. you were saying um oh i like yeah like i guess like like i guess there's a you know a question is like how much do we forgive a character when their flaws are sort of like part of their journey. That's interesting. Which like, cause a lot of his flaws, his uh, kind of entitlement is, you know, are like sort of like what he's supposed to, I think to a certain extent, learn from Link and uh, the Weeze. Oh, the Weasel. Or the, the Weeze. They do call him, they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Weeze. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yes, go ahead, Carrie. Well, I think that the, I think you're right. I think the, the, the third act is sort of the true issue. Like I think everything kind of leading up to the point where he tries to get rid of Link is like kind of plays or, or at least like narratively plays it, that it's then his turn that, that feels really kind of like too quick and not earned, which is like basically just gets in the fight. And then he's like, Oh, you're right. I can't, what was I thinking? And then, so, but that doesn't feel, it doesn't make you like him again. You're like, yeah, so he just got caught and now he's not going to do it. And so what you really need is that he makes some kind of a sacrifice for Link, totally. you know, in front of everybody. And then uh, Robin sees it and is like, oh, I like him seeing this person in a different light. He's like, you know, self-confident and is like doing the right thing. And like, I like that. So maybe we can kiss at the end. No, it's basically him being like, Zap! like, like, as like, he's being like, Link's being crowned homecoming king, and then he, and then it's just over. He gets punched, and like, there's it, just nothing it feels like Stony and Link both come to Dave's rescue on numerous occasions throughout this film. Uh, but Dave learns nothing from any of these things. Mm-hmm. They just kind of like at the end of the film, you're talking about like, you know, where where Matt's beating him up, and then like Link comes to his aid and like beats up Matt. It, 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 it doesn't feel as though we should be rewarding Dave. Like ultimately him getting to be with his dream girl of whatever is a, you know, is treated like a reward for him having like been through some sort of gauntlet, but he never really actually did. So it's, it's yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. That being said, I do love Matt going to prom announcing that Link is a caveman and the kids just being like, this is awesome. <laughs> no, and uh, no, uh, like a hundred percent agree. That was probably the only time I genuinely laughed out loud. It was like I'm in a place where I believe the movie kind of wanted me to. And that entire speech, and like, uh, uh, like uh, uh, that was when I realized, oh, this might be one of the great kind of bully performances 
is that like that entire speech is just so great and his real just like love of being the heel uh, in this movie was actually like a joy to watch i mean it's obviously horrible do, do you think that he was like, you know, Polly Shore's got all these lines, like, I got one. And he's like, shush. He's like, that's going to be my thing. That's going to be like my tagline is shush. <laughs> but, but then the best part is at the end, he does, like, Polly Shore does it. And it's like, and then play, line plays great. Yeah. I think as much as Matt is a piece of shit, I think that he is technically accurate on the merits. Link should not be prom king because he was not born in the United States and therefore does not have legal standing to be the prom king. Yeah. Is he also yeah. like really a student? Not really. No, <laughs> no he's got no, no. Uh, and I mean, like uh, this might be just a finer plot point that I missed. Um, why did they put a dog license uh, in his file? I, I, yeah, that's a great, I was going to bring up that scene because what I like about it, outside of the fact that like it seems completely out of nowhere, and I, I guess they were just like they needed to fill this file with something, so they just decided to put like dog medical records in there, is how dumb Matt's two cohorts are. That like like Matt's really kind of the brains of this operation, <laughs> which is kind of great. But yeah, I think there's a scene cut where they must have explained why there were dog records in there, and I guess they felt as though. Uh, I think it's just because when you go to high school, you like have to like have like, you know, shots for like chicken pox and measles and you? spinal meningitis and shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you went to public school, you did. Yeah. I guess I yeah. didn't. I, maybe I had that in Canada. I don't know. I, I mean, know, maybe. Yeah. They, they don't, they don't have vaccination records in, in Canada. Uh, I'm sure they do. I just did. Listen, guys. I, I don't listen, know. This no, is- listen, listen. <laughs> well, I know you're just one of the dumb background bully guys. That I guess. I, guess. <laughs> I like that you're suggesting there was like a scene cut from this movie because I don't think they cut anything from this movie. I think that <laughs> no. Michael Eisner himself was like, can we just add my wonderful world of Disney intro to the front just to add another couple minutes onto this? Yeah. By the way, I want to wrap a storyline that everyone has forgotten about. It's Robin Tunney. Robin Tunney. I checked and made sure. Thank you. So, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I, I So, yeah, there, there's two. You, you mentioned this earlier, Bart, so it's worth mentioning these again just to unpack them very briefly. They go to um, some sort of a theme park, uh, Link and Stony. Uh, they they go on the roller coaster. Um, it's Magic and, Mountain, Six Flags yeah. Magic Mountain. Six Flags. Okay, my apologies. Yeah. I, I don't know if they actually said what it was in the. They movie. say Mega Mountain because they obviously can't say Magic can't Mountain, but it's Magic Mountain. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's where um, <laughs> Link learns how to talk like Stony. Right. Um, and they spend all that time uh, kind of harassing um, the person in the like bear suit. Yes, you know the poor kid, just a summer job, like just yes. really, really paying it forward by just like the, yeah, cousin like, Greg who is uh, in yeah. the bear costume from Succession. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, uh, they go there. It's a fun sequence, I guess. Again, feels very kind of like <laughs> I, I don't know, like it's not, it's fine. No, that is the exact. That is exactly what it is. It is a fun sequence, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the other sequence that you mentioned, which is everyone just essentially starts dancing at this prom uh, in together in unison. They all start copying Link's dance, um, which is, you know, it's fun. But I guess I just kind of I I kept thinking as this scene was kind of playing out how many times a sequence like this has happened since 
Encino Man. I don't know if I'm, I'm sure it predates Encino Man, but like I thought about She's All That. I thought about like actually these- Encino Man was the first movie to have a dance sequence in it. So <laughs> you know ever. what I mean. Um, I, so I I do feel like when it happened, I was just like, there is something really charming but so dumb about these things because they do seem to happen a fair amount of like prom dance. Everyone just knows the dance. I don't know. Is it charming? I actually, this is, this is, this is so no one cares, but let me just say it anyway. I was the uh, editor. I was the editor of my yearbook. Uh-huh. Shocker. Me too. Oh, I love that. Uh, Let's do talk. I can't wait. Uh, so I wrote like, you know, you like write things to the student life section, like articles about like, I don't know, whatever. I wrote an article about dance sequences in teen movies and like how they're fake or whatever. And like, so I could tell you all the ones that are in there. Cause like can't buy me love. I predates Encino man. That's a big one. Sure. Is that and, the, right? Do you know what and I think they was? do in teen wolf too. They do like a teen wolf. I think has a dance teen wolf or teen wolf Two. Oh, sorry. Teen wolf. Okay. Period. Straight. Like, just, just, uh, in yeah. can't buy me love though. It's planted like like uh, kind of early and like it pays off right well so he's he thinks he's watching uh american bandstand but he's af- actually yeah. watching african cultural hour on pbs oh, of course. and all the nerds realize that's what it is at the dance but he's so popular at the time that everyone's like well i must do what ronnie miller's doing because he's cool so everyone's doing it except for his fake ex-girlfriend who's like why look at these like lemmings like following right. following him or whatever but it, uh, it does. It does happen pretty frequently. Yes, Emily, you've done some research. I, I want to do. I want to do. I didn't do any research. I want to do high school yearbook. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> I have a yearbook story. I want to share. Please tell your yearbook. Story. You've got some scores to settle. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do. I uh, was the editor of my high school yearbook, and our theme was "It's the end of the world as we know it." And like, I wrote an introductory essay that was like about how the apocalypse is whatever it is in your heart. And we sent it in to be judged in like the state yearbook competition. And I could tell the guy who judged it just like, I lost him right away. Cause he was like this may, end of the world as we know it. That is not an appropriate theme for a yearbook. So he goes through and he's just marking everything, like everything he can take points off for. He takes points off for the last page is a blurry photo of a guy trying, like flying toward a, you know, the basketball hoop, you know, shooting the ball, but you can't see what's happening because the exposure is too long. And I chose that to be a full page spread on the last page. And then I wrote a thing next to it about how time is ephemeral and we're all like moving through it. And like, we're like trapped by whatever. And the guy, he just put a post-it note on the page and wrote what, is this and underline the words and then like put a question mark. And he said, he wrote in his letter, this is the lowest score that has ever been given to a yearbook in the state of South Dakota. And anyway, that's my yearbook story. That guy, legendary. that guy, he was wrong. He was wrong. It was a great, it was a great yearbook. And everyone now agrees that it is a classic. You still have your essay so we can post it. Listen, I'm. Sh- I, I'd have to like. I'd have to dig it out of storage sure. somewhere, but I'm sure that I do. Yeah, I would love to read it. Uh, I oh, mean- it's uh, it's unfiltered, Emily. Like to be clear, <laughs> it's that's incredible. I uh, yeah. I mean, there's. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of this teacher trying to wrap his head around this existential crisis that you're going through. <laughs> 
<laughs> just being like, I'm worried, but I also don't really know what I'm supposed to do with this. It's great. It's great. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, the end of the movie is, uh, you know, uh, Link's girlfriend arrives um, out of nowhere, like, like a deus ex machina. She's bathing in the bathtub. They turn her into some, you know, hot chick and then oh one thing i did want to mention um is that at the end of this movie the last scene you have uh stony and link looking at the 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 post makeover version of his girlfriend right and they're they're talking in poly speak and they're like making just noises essentially at each other and and Link makes like this crazy noise that even like Polly Shore seems like off put by. Like there's kind of where he's like, okay, okay. And it felt really genuine. Like this was just some weird riffing thing that was happening and it just went off the rails and Polly was just not into it. And that's literally how they end the movie. <laughs> it's him doing the shush. Like he's doing the shush thing. But it's then they, oh, yeah. But yeah. then at the end they had they cut back in and it's Polly Shore saying, like, I'll be back. <laughs> Wait, is there yeah, a post-credit I mean, like, scene? Yeah, yeah, and it says oh, like no, the no, end, no. buddy. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Like, I think it was clearly like meant to be a franchise, and then they just didn't feel like they could top this one. I don't think you could. I mean, listen, they had to twist Brendan Fraser and Sean Astin's arms to get them into this movie. What they would have had to give Sean Astin to get him in a sequel, he'd be like running fucking Hollywood pictures. Well, if, if we want to, if we really want to wrap this all together in like the yeah. Polly Shore universe, so you'll find in in the army now, uh, Brendan Fraser does a cameo as Link, oh as Link Vichtomovsky. He's like, so it's like they're in wherever they are, like Libya or something. And like they're at, in the cafeteria or the barracks or whatever. And like he, uh, they're eating weird food or whatever. And like he goes, he goes over and he's like, try whatever. It tastes just like frog. Cause you know how he eats a, he, he eats the frog in yeah. the, yeah. um, like the yeah. science class. Yeah. And like, and they stay on Polly Shore for a minute. He goes, no. And then he just keeps going like, couldn't be, couldn't be him. Like, it's like all in the extended shore universe. Shoreverse. The shoreverse? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So anyway, that happens. Uh, uh, So um, let's rate this movie. Uh, So I I don't really. Yes, please, Bart. You look like you have something to say. No. I, well, so, I mean, I was just going to ask a question because I because I am uh, legitimately curious because yes. I I tried to shazam, uh, kind of shazam the mm. final song. Um, does anybody okay. know what that song is about the monkey? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's by a band called Infectious Grooves. Yeah, who is the? Uh, um, it's a super group of one of the guys from Suicidal Tendencies, another guy from Jane's Addiction, and like it's like a funk group. And like okay. it's called the song's called like "Shock Your Monkey." It's not "Shock the Monkey." That's a Peter Gabriel song, but it's like like that. But I guess like in the, in looking up the Wikipedia for the band, they were like kind of a joke band. Mm-hmm. Like it's like like the 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 songs are sort of j- intentionally jokey, and I think that one is one of them. Gotcha. Okay, great. So they're real. Like it's a real band. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a cameo. Yeah. yeah for yeah. infectious grooves. 
Um, so I had not, I mean, I saw this movie in 92, but I, I don't think it's fair for me to really rate it because I didn't remember it very well. And I, I feel like I, I, it didn't make a ton of an impression because as I said, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't open my heart to Polly at the time. And I don't think it's fair for me to rate it that way. Um, so before this podcast, I was at a 79. Um, and I think I'm going to stick at a 79. I think that's that that feels right to me. Uh, I maybe that's a bit high, but I I, I was really taken with Paulie Shore in this movie, guys. So he he you know him and Brendan Fraser they they got me to a 79. But uh, where are you at, Emily? I can't believe you went to me because I'm looking at the Infectious Grooves Wikipedia right, fights. Their uh, debut Bart. album was called "The Plague That Makes Your Booty Move." It's the Infectious Grooves. Please come back to me, Bart. <laughs> where are you? I think I, I, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to rate things. Cause I don't, I mean, like, I just, I mean, like, I mean, I don't think I will ever going to willingly watch this movie again. Sure. Would you recommend um, this movie? Cause that's kind no, of, no, okay. So then no, you're below 50. No, I that's mean, the, the line to recommend. So you're below 50. Yeah. No. Uh, um, is what the, the recommendation line is 50. Okay. I mean, because I mean, like, to be honest, I, like, if it wasn't for the, and I had such a blast watching this movie in preparation for this podcast, and I think this is very fun. But if it was not for the, like, you know, the podcast and all, like, I mean, like, I would have turned this off, like, uh, six minutes into it. Like, I, I mean, sure. like, 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 just as a movie by itself, I don't think I really enjoyed it. So is that like a four? Like, no, that's like that seems very low. That's very low. Are you 25. that low? Okay, 25. Sure. Okay, 25. I'll say 25. Okay. I don't know that I, I mean, I probably would have thought, yeah, so I think it was maybe like a 25 back then where it was like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure I, and yeah, like, I, I don't, didn't go up. No, Carrie, Sorry. what's your rating, Carrie? I, look, I think I feel like I come out similar to you, like, and at the time when it came out, like, I think I, like, had, for wherever I fit in the postmodern era of, like, liking movies, sure. I, I was, at a very young age, could enjoy something ironically and sincerely in the same moment. So, like, even seeing Encino Man, like, at that time, I wasn't like, oh, this is a good movie. I was like, this is so fun, this is so dumb, but also smart, and also all the things, and, like, I kind of just, like, like who Polly Shore is, and I just think this is, like, a fun thing to, like, like some of it, make fun of some of it, and it's just this this fun thing that you could watch. Like, that. that's kind of... that. I, I, I thought that at the time, and then that's, that's, like, delightful to witness, and so I continue to feel that way. I think 79 sounds right. I think it's like, I don't, it's like, I would say like, obviously like watch at your own, like with caution, but you have to kind of know what you're walking into. But I just think it's uh with caution. Yeah. How, so, so if 50 is the recommend line, yeah. I guess like, like you would uh, emphatically kind of recommend this to somebody else, but you would give them a long kind of preamble <laughs> just to contextualize. Like if you like this kind of thing, then so. When you yeah. enjoy this watch. So when, when when Kenny and I were doing this podcast, I mean, we both had our own sort of rules in our heads as to how we would rate things. My thing isn't so much that I would go out of my way to recommend a movie. It was more if a person came up to me and said, I'm going to watch this movie. Should I watch this movie? I would say yes or no. 
as opposed to would I go knocking on people's doors telling them to watch Encino Man? No. But if someone came up to me and was like, I'm thinking about Encino Man, what do you think? I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah, watch it. Polly Shore is great. Like, that's kind of how I approach it. Well, I think it's, but it's I, I, it, fluid. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Emily. I'm imagining like, you know how HBO Max, when they would put like Gone with the Wind or whatever on there, and they yeah. have a yeah. long introduction where this film scholar would put it in its context. I'm imagining someone popping on Encino Man and then Phil like talking for five minutes about like, we got to properly contextualize this. The weasel is. and then That's actually what it. Michael Eisner said in the beginning <laughs> of the thing. He's like, look, guys, I know like there's just things that you can enjoy ironically and sincerely, but like in this moment, like it's fine because, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. You get it. Uh, Emily, where, where do you fall on this movie? Uh, 90s queer phobia scale. I'm going to start with this is from one to 10, uh, 10 being the most queer phobic one being, I don't know, a movie that didn't exist in 1992. Um, I'm going to give it a five. There's, there's slurs. And it's also like, you can just, it's one of those movies where you can tell it, it just, you know, everybody involved is like ready to laugh at some queer people. Um, but I mean, I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to knock it back to a four just because Brendan Fraser, trans mask icon. Um, the, uh, the, I've been on a journey with the rating of this. Like back in the day, I probably would have been like 43 because my sister liked right. it so much and therefore I could not. Um, I watching it yesterday, I had a reasonably fine time. I probably like go 56, 57. This conversation has simultaneously pushed me up about 10 points and down about 10 points. So I'm going to give it like, I'm going to give it like a, like a, like a 49 and a half. Like it's, I don't quite like it enough to recommend it, but I also don't quite hate it enough to not recommend it. So you heard it here first guys. Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, this has been a wild ride of a podcast. Cause like, you know, before, you know, before coming on here, I was just like, look, everyone's going to hate this movie. I'm going to be the positive one. I'm going to talk about a couple of the performances <laughs> I like. I'm just going to just stick, just stick to what like is good. Like, like don't like, don't be attacking the movie. And then I just got so it's just been, it's like, I feel like there was a moment that you had convinced me, but now that it's like, actually the rubber is uh, meeting the road. You have to rate this movie. Would you kind of recommend it? And it's like, I don't think if it was like, you'd never seen a movie before and you just had like a copy of this. I'd be like, yeah, right. like you should see a movie. Like, right. like would this be the like, first yeah. movie you show link? Is that what you're saying? That's what you're saying. Right. That, that if, I mean, if I had access to no other movies, if it was like, this person will understand what, like, like what, like what movies are like, it, like, I mean, it's films, like, films, is what you mean. films. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, would it be better? To, to to not know what a film is or to watch this, yes, uh, you should watch this. Yeah, I, I think I prefer Bill, Bill and Ted's as far as like insane premise with yes. like dum-dums that have like catchphrases. Like yeah. I prefer Bill and Ted's. I think that sure. actually like I That's really a better movie. love. Yeah. yeah, it's a better yeah. movie. It's not, this is like a much more flawed movie. Absolutely. But I, I think it's like, it's got a lot to, a lot to love. Can I just, I, I, honestly, I do want, Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. What kind? What kind of term? You know, it was Phil. You listed a bunch of movies like Bill and Ted and Wayne's World and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, those are all better." Like, like way those better. are, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yes, I, yeah. I'm not saying they're not. They're great, but I yeah. also think that Bert's review of if the choice is to have never known that cinema exists or to watch this movie. <laughs> 
I said then I would watch it, or that I would say you should watch it. That's the the most damning review of a movie that's ever been. I know. I feel bad about it. I I don't want to be this person, but I also can't not be honest about it. Like, I was trying, because I was like, well, if someone likes it, like, don't be the the Debbie Downer, but, I mean, here we are. The one thing that I feel like you guys, before we go in the weekend, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to yeah. extend this. There's yeah. this moment that I want, like, that I feel like you got to do about all the movies, like, of a certain era when they try to put slang in a movie that, like, I don't know if that e- slang ever existed. And there's this line that Robin Tunney says where she's like, his name's Link and I think he's Jive. I was like, Jive? I was like, I know I, like, saw Jive on, like, a, a thing for like like skateboarding like stickers sure. but like has anyone ever spoken that except for robin tunney in this movie because i was like this movie's written by a 55 year old like that was like <laughs> i was like like i was like this well, get me out of here <laughs> it's funny you bringing that up i was on a podcast on the weekend on uh josie and the pussycats and the whole like uh jerkin thing where they're trying to make jerkin into a thing for kids like trying to create slang subconsciously through like some um which i just think is just they're making fun of that like that movie's consciously <laughs> making fun of how silly slang can be whereas to your point this movie carrie is just like some white guy was like yeah jive sounds like a thing the kids would say let's uh let's run with that i mean bizarre um carrie fart you guys are the best. We're so thankful that you came on to talk about this. Is there, do you want, do you, you guys aren't on social media really? Bart, I know you're not. No. Uh, yeah. There's I'm no way really, for people to. to yeah. I'm like, you. I mostly, yeah. I haven't like, I like barely tweet. I, yeah, I don't think it's I tweet. Bet, you're like better off years. for it. I, I'd say that Emily and I are probably too online. Would you, would you agree with that, Emily? I am trying to be less online. But you are. Yeah, I probably, by the way, the other movie to open that weekend was The Glass House. Both films starred Diane Lane. So, like, that's a one-two for it. The, both the movies that came out after September 11th were Diane Lane vehicles, in part. So, is it think that about a, that. Is that the be- is there a beginning of a conspiracy theory there? <laughs> I, I saw. So, I was telling someone this the other day that I saw Modest Mouse on 9 2001 at the House of Blues. What was and, that show like? Uh, it was weird. They're already a weird. Yeah, band. It was a really weird show. It yeah, I bet weird. it was a weird vibe. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um the movie I remember post September 11th that I feel like because I remember not to get it we don't need to go down a whole thing but I just remember Zoolander came out around September 11th and I remember Oliver Stone making some snide comment about like you know there's you know we're, we're better than Zoolander or some shit like that it was just a weird so he made some weird kind of conjecture about Zoolander and how like why is this the movie that's in theaters right now and I don't know it was all just very you know, listen, post-September 11th. It was a weird time. Uh, I think people were saying a lot of weird things. I also love Zoolander. So do I. It's great. Uh, uh, Zoolander is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, nothing against yeah. Zoolander. Never saw the second one, though. Um, it's actually, like, it's it's weirdly... It's better. Zoolander 2... Zoolander 2... No, it's not better than Zoolander, but the, Zoolander 2 and Wayne's World 2 have a lot in common, as far as, like, how okay. they're, like, trying to recreate, but, like, not totally getting it, but then kind of it's kind of great in a different way. Like, I, I think- mean, the, the, the significant difference, of course, being that Wayne's World 2 came out like two years after Wayne's World, whereas Zoolander 2 came out 18 years after the first one. So, sure. I mean, it's, it's it's a little bit of a different, but I know what you're saying. I remember I saw Wayne's World 2 in the theater when it came out and just being like, this this doesn't, this isn't as good. There's, this is, 
this isn't working. But I kind of want to. I kind of want to do a podcast about movies where there was a sequel and then no other movies. Like the sequel bombed <laughs> so hard that it killed the franchise. I also want to do a podcast about Dark Skies. So, um, <laughs> what is what is a movie that comes to mind for that though, Emily? Of a sequel that killed a franchise. I mean, the, the, the problem is nothing is killed anymore. But like Gremlins Two is like the prototypical example of a movie that like they just never followed up on it because it just like yeah. And now they're going to make another Babe Two. Yeah. Speed two. Hmm? Speed two. Sure. Speed two definitely killed the. Wait. I would say Babe Pig yeah. in the City did a pretty good job of uh, of, of putting Babe in a coffin. But yeah. yeah Wait, but, but that's supposed to be great. I love Babe, Babe two. two. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. Babe two. Oh, but, but it didn't do well. Yeah. Yeah. And they were supposed to do a third one, Babe in the Woods, which uh, was going to be like the, the that was going to be the trilogy. And then after Babe two was a colossal failure, they were like, I think we're done with Babe. I think we're done. You could do anyway. a babe like a sequel. You could make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that Rommel pig is probably so the same. old by now. <laughs> One <laughs> pig, crazy. the whole time. <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be really expensive. The de aging they're gonna have to do on that pig. <laughs> Cost prohibitive. Sounds great. Would watch. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, guys. You're the thank best. Yeah, no, thank um, you. Can't uh, wait to have you guys so on. Fun. Talk you, about some, some other movie. Yeah. Do you have shit you want to plug where people can find you or whatever? Carrie's like, no. No, don't find me. <laughs> Bart, me. you want to talk? Uh, fucking watch Bart's show. If you're not watching Yellow Jackets, what are you doing? Is basically, uh, I, yeah, think, I, agree. I think Bart agrees yeah, with that. I agree. That, right? Just watch Yellow yeah, Jackets. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really good, but I'm biased. <laughs> watch Yellow Jackets. It is really yeah. good. Uh, Bart uh, is modest, as, I mean, as we all should be, but it's a great show. It's wonderful. Um, it's on. I don't know. How do they, I mean, it's on Showtime. It's on Paramount Plus with Showtime. It's on fucking Amazon. I don't know. It's on a bunch of shit, right? It's everywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's on yeah. Showtime or uh, Paramount Plus with Showtime or <laughs> iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Talk thank soon. you. Yeah, no, thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.